A lot of our clients now are coming to us saying, this is what we've done in the past, but it's not working. We've tried many iterations, it doesn't work. Is there a better way? Is there a way that we can change and make things more efficient? and me, where we interview industry thought leaders in governance, risk, and compliance on hot topics, industry-specific challenges, trends, and more to learn about their methods, solutions, and outlook in this space. Hello, and welcome to another episode of GRC and Me. I'm your host, Megan Fee, and today I have two industry experts joining me. We have David New, the Senior Manager of Technology Consulting at Protivity in the Netherlands. And we have Peter Berger, Associate Director of Risk and Business Consulting and Internal Audit at Protivity in the Netherlands. Today, we talk about the concept of being agile in GRC. You hear it being described for methodology and processes and GRC technology. But what about aligned and agile risk governance? We'll talk more about that together. And David and Peter have offered for those listening today who are interested in having a conversation with them, that they're offering a complimentary consulting session to talk about GRC technology, risk frameworks, and this concept of agile risk governance. And now here's my conversation with David and Peter. So welcome to the show, David and Peter. Hey, Megan. Thank you very much. Welcome. And uh, looking forward to having a very nice conversation again. Sounds good. Us too. So let's get started. David, would you be able to tell the listeners about yourself? What is your current role? And tell us about your background in GRC. Yeah, sure. Um, you can find my formal role definition on LinkedIn. But my current role really is a bit of a strategist. I'm an innovator and a problem solver for our clients uh, within order, risk, and compliance. And I'm helping them basically to translate their business processes using GRC technology. My journey has taken me across the globe. So I've worked for Protivity in Australia, London, and now Amsterdam within our internal audit and technology consulting practices. Awesome. And Peter, what about you? Yes. So my story is a little bit different, a little bit less global than David's, but originally from Slovakia. I lived in the Netherlands for a long time. I lived in Denmark for a long time. And at the moment, uh, working at Protivity, I've been helping numerous clients with dealing with their issues and challenges around risk management and compliance from various perspectives. Really, it's setting up uh, the proper governance, frameworks, processes, as you already mentioned, but also helping with the, really the nitty-gritty details of the day-to-day -day management that they challenge are with. Uh, so, yeah, that's what I do uh, across various industries, whether financial industry, but also many other ones. Fantastic. All right. Well, I think this discussion will be very valuable for our listeners, not just from the global lens, but also cross-functionally across different elements within GRC. So excited to get into it. So Peter, I'd love to start with you. I was recently reading an article and you had a publication on, I would call it aligned risk governance. And you mentioned that it, it really begins with differing perspectives on the internal parties when risk governance or risk structure is not aligned. And you talk about the infamous case of failed risk governance at Barring Bank. And I know we all know this, but would you remind us about what happened there again? And in your opinion, what were some of the important lessons that others could take away from that? Very good question. And, um, uh, you know, this case, indeed, is a very well-known case. There were movies made about it. So I don't want to repeat too much, but maybe just 
to refresh our memories around uh, Nick Leeson and how he managed to bring down a bank that has been there for hundreds of years, very famous big bank. And unfortunately, because of one man who was doing typical rogue trading type of activities, he managed to uh, make the bank collapse, which is basically a typical uh, thing that uh, many organizations can overlook, these kind of uh, very big events that can happen within their organizations that can really destroy the years and years of the good business that the bank was uh, building for many other organizations. So in, in brief, uh, he managed to do a lot of trades and hide the losses that he was making with trades which overall were going very well. And that's why no one was questioning, actually, that uh, whether there are any risks looming behind those numbers. Management saw that things were going well, so they, they didn't uh, worry about it too much. But unfortunately, some signals which were coming from part of the organization that were saying, well, maybe we should look into that. Uh, for example, their internal audit as their third line has raised some points, but they were not properly aligned, they were not properly followed up so to say. So in terms of the risk governance, uh, what I would say, there are many lessons learned in terms of aligning various parties in an organization to understanding what risks is our organization, the business facing, and really have a common understanding of that. Uh, what is the risk? What is our appetite around the risk? What kind of risks is our business facing in a day-to-day -day environment? And do we have the right measures to take when we see that things are not really going according to the plan or being off the track? So in a more kind of aligned way, whether you are in the first line or the second line or third line, see and have a proper measure in place to stop before things go out of the limits. See it like, I would say, like uh, tracks on the railroad, you know? So, so you have in parallel going several lines next to each other, but they do go in one direction. And that definitely was not the case at Barings Bank. Well, thank you for reorienting us to that story. And it is, it's about alignment going in the same direction. So David, share with us, how do you help clients just apply these learnings in their day-to-day -day and in their program? Yeah, sure. Coming back to Peter's article, uh, one of the first kind of stories is that you're a business user and all finding, you get a compliance finding, you get a, you know, a risk issue, you get bombarded with sometimes common ones, but sometimes they're like, you know, duplicates repeated. So within our work in GRC technology, we often see these organizational misalignments and silos. And often beneath it is that they're using different tools, different systems, starting from Excel, good old style spreadsheets, going into GRC technologies, sometimes multiple. And then even within, if you do go and have like one full integrated GRC technology, are you aligned in terms of how you manage issues? What does the ratings mean? How does that vary between an audit level issue versus a risk issue versus compliance issue? How do you classify the different levels? So one recent example that we did for a client was we worked very closely with the risk and management information reporting team to go out and talk to the three lines of defense, you know, having those conversations, the tricky conversations about what are we going to agree on? What are we not going to agree on? And how does that, how do we make that work for a GRC tool so that we are in alignment? And so we're able to reduce a lot of the effort that goes into consolidating these different data sources into more efficient reporting for the team. Great. Thank you for sharing that. And that's, I can imagine that customer walked away or that client walked away with just a better understanding of areas to continue the things that were working well in areas for improvement because they now had the shared knowledge and the shared alignment, the shared kind of language and definition, as you mentioned. We talk about that language of risk and having alignment is critical for even understanding and then strategic decision-making. So 
Thank you for sharing that. And Peter, another question for you. So alignment sounds great, but it's actually very difficult. And it adds a really a layer of complexity when your organization is faced with new regulations, new regulations due to acquisition or market growth or even regulator scrutiny. So in your opinion, what are some complexities that European organizations face when complying with new regulations? Again, a very good question. And, you know, I don't have the magical answer to all problems that comes with this, but uh, Europe is one continent, but extremely diverse continent. So we have so many various countries in here. And despite the European integration, which has brought a lot of alignment of the regulations, there is still so many local flavors on how you interpret actually the regulation in your local environment. And even, let's say, the key players on the market, like the supervisory bodies, they also put emphasis on different pieces of that regulation in a bit different way, which makes it very complicated to satisfy as one company who has operations in multiple countries, uh, makes it quite difficult to satisfy all of them, but it's still possible. You know, many companies do that. They have to put a lot of effort into it. Also with the use of technology, of course, and that's why we need technology that actually supports this kind of multi-layer, multi-dimensional addressing of issues and regulations. But interesting that you say for European organizations, but I would even say that it's also for the outside organizations, like from US or from Asia in the recent years, it's been growing, who need to deal with the fact that they sometimes underestimate the complexity of the European environment and do not expect sometimes that there is so many differences and need to deal with that. So I would say it's it's issue for anyone who wants to do business in European countries for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. That's great perspective. And I think you're right. It's not until they get into the rules and the regulations and the obligations so they really understand the intricacies and the, the variances there. So yeah, thank you for sharing your opinion on that. And I've also heard you speak about aligned risk governance and the journey ahead for organizations. And it's really a stage of agile governance and a state of agile continuous improvement. So with that end in mind, that end of agile continuous improvement, how can technology be a barrier sometimes to this agile continuous improvement? I already mentioned that technology should help us, of course, with dealing with the complexities of the environment and help us grow. But indeed, if company doesn't take the right choices in implementing technology and that fits their environment, it can actually become a barrier. I have uh, several examples of companies that approached us saying, well, I don't have good risk management in place. Please help me select the right technology uh, and implement it so that I can do my risk management and compliance properly. And uh, I always, um, my response is, yes, happy to, very, very happy to help you select the right one. But before we even do that, let's maybe ask more fundamental question. What do you understand under risk management and compliance and, and how do you want that to help your business grow and help the business deal with the daily activities, uh, facing the various requests from your stakeholders, making sure that you make the right choices in terms of which risks to look at and which not. And that is exactly where, where it can become a barrier because if you start from technology end and not thinking first, okay, what is my business look like and what risks am I facing? And how do I want my people in my organization to tackle these challenges? No technology will help you with that first. So I would say make the right choices in terms of how easy or complex 
uh, technology you want to implement for your risk management. It can be something also very easy. You can start very small. And as your organization grows and becomes more complex, you can take on the more sophisticated tooling and technology rather than investing a lot of money upfront before your organization is actually ready to use it. Your people will not be, from my own experience, will not be very eager to go, yes, let's manage some risks on a daily basis. That's not usually what that's right. right. So usually you need to uh, help people understand that everyone faces risks on a daily basis. It's completely common, normal. Everyone has to do that, whether in your daily life or in your business life. And in the business life, it becomes a bit more complex because there is many more people who need to uh, align in the same direction, as we mentioned. And for that, technology can help. But if you don't make the right choices, it can become very frustrating. It can become expensive. And then after years and years of trying to implement a complex, uh, sophisticated tool, sometimes you just have to throw it out. And that is not a good case. Well, and you know, you shared a couple of things that made me think sometimes, yeah, if you make, unfortunately, the wrong decision, then the organization has a negative experience with the concept of risk awareness and kind of the culture of risk, which you're trying so hard to foster this culture of risk awareness. And so but folks feel burned, you know, this was a difficult system or it didn't align with our process. So yeah, here at Logigate, we always talk about technology should be an enabler to your process. You should leverage technology to help to optimize and operationalize your process that you've defined to foster that kind of communication and that awareness. So it isn't so much of the, I have to do another risk assessment, but rather, hey, I see this and I've known now through education internally that this could be a risk to my business because I've also seen it in this department, this department. So let's stay ahead of it. And then they can participate in this endeavor along with the risk management and the governance team. So yeah, that's really key. So David, I have a question for you. So in your experience, what would you say GRC professionals, those listening to today, should consider in regards to agile GRC technology? I think I I echo both what you said before in relation to you need processes and systems in place before you can build into technology. So one of the benefits that I've had is that when we do a GRC project and we do find that actually there's some process improvement that needs here. Actually, you're missing a framework. I often bring in a consultant, a colleague like Peter to bring in and have that conversation about the process because then that, that's a separate conversation that enables me to focus on the technology itself and how it can improve. And then by the time I come back, processes have improved, frameworks in place, we move on. So being agile to stop and think wider than just the technology in terms of what is the business outcome really helps with that. Some of the other things that I've found has been really useful is to start with architecture. You do need to design with the end in mind. So whether that be that's your, you know, your hazy vision of what you want to achieve, but then being able to adapt and change as you go, because sometimes what you plan at the very start will change. So if you do have small wins, small use cases that you apply and they're successful, then keep going. But if you find that you hit a wall, don't force the tool to work. Because what ends up happening is that you overbuild it. It becomes a bespoke and customized tool that will probably break down in years to come. And you've wondered why you did it in the first place. So coming back to architecture, driving and having the agility to adapt is very important. We talk about that often that, as Peter kind of alluded to, risks are the constant in our life. We have them in our personal life, in our professional life. We're always going to face risk. We're always going to understand that 
regulations are going to change over time. There's always going to be complexities. We always have to be able to iterate and innovate. And I think what you shared is really important is to be mindful of that, of you don't have to get it right right now. You can evolve and iterate if you found the right technology and if you have a process that allows you to be agile. So yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. I think people often think, I need this technology to do all these 20 things right now because that's what we want to do. But it's about starting small, meeting where they are. And as long as the tool can meet where they are today, but then expand and grow and iterate, then you're in a good spot. So I think that's great. And it talks about, you know, that's kind of that concept of digital transformation, right? We're all going through this concept of digital transformation. I've actually heard, mm. heard you, David, talk about the concept of compliance transformation here at Protivity. So tell us more about that concept of compliance transformation. What is it in your opinion and why is it important? Sure. So compliance transformation tries to answer the questions. What if we set disruptive goals to change the game? What if we eliminate 100% of second-line transaction testing? What if we can reduce the time to perform risk control self-service? What if? Often we get stuck in the, the mode of, this is what was done in the past, I'm just going to repeat the process. And so what it does is make you think on your current processes and think you know, wider. So in a nutshell, it's really about shifting your from retrospective hindsight to looking into foresight. As an analogy, you know, you're driving, rather than looking at your you know, windscreen mirror, you look at the front, you're looking at you know, all the risk approach, all the opportunities that come your way. So this is how we approach it. So that's kind of like in a nutshell. How we do that is that often clients will take in, you know, basic systems and processes they have, GRC tools that they've had and apply them in the way that they've done in the past. But a lot of our clients now are coming to us saying, actually, this is what we've done in the past, but it's not working. We've tried many iterations. It doesn't work. Is there a better way? is a way that we can change and make things more efficient. So just give you some examples to kind of illustrate the process. It's quite complex. Um, you know, we've helped our clients look beyond GRC technology, so enabling technologies to help them automate controls testing and execution through continuous monitoring. Or we would use process mining to link up to their ERP systems to extract any kind of irregular data, looking for trends, and that will fall into the GRC to, for reporting. The other things that we've done really even more simply is to like put up chatbots because then they can respond to the really basic compliance questions and that frees up your team to focus on more, I guess, more value, higher value adding activities. So they're just some examples of compliance transformation that our clients are having. We're having conversations with our clients with at the moment. Those are all really cool and innovative ideas about, especially those that have lean teams too and are faced with uh, heightened pressures, whether they're regulatory or, or risk-driven pressures. So really cool ideas. Thank you for sharing that. All right. Well, we've talked a lot about things to consider, lessons learned from those that have had experiences in the past, as well as just how you can continue to iterate and evolve your program and, and what are some considerations that you should have when whether selecting technology or thinking about defining and designing a process. So last question for you both. We've talked about this today, but when it comes to our daily lives, alignment and agility, you know, it's been really critical for kind of people this last year to maintain that quote unquote balance. So how or what advice would you share with other risk professionals to help them find that balance in the new normal of today's virtual world? I know that's maybe impossible question, but what has worked for you and what would you share with others? And Peter, if I could start with you. This is an excellent question. And I think 
all of us have to deal with it in slightly different way. And I think this is exactly a good example of uh, how we are all different, right? And uh, we we need to deal with the same situation with the same challenges in completely different ways. And maybe what I learned and maybe my advice is calibrate your expectations. And I'm not saying maybe lower your expectations, but really calibrate them. Somewhere you do need to lower them perhaps, but somewhere maybe you can even increase your expectations, both personally and professionally. There are certain things that we would like to be doing, of course, but just because of the limitations we have today, we just have to calibrate them. And and um, I know for ambitious people and people who would want to be social and who have a lot of objectives in their lives, it is very difficult. But, you know, that's what it is at the moment. And, and we should see that as an opportunity to be really agile uh, on a daily basis and try it out uh, just what it means. Because agile means precisely that, that we, we look at uh, what the day brings and we generally know the direction we want to go, but we do slow down in certain areas and speed up where we can, like building your own home, you know, building more closer relationships in your families that you can be close with, that's something you can work on perfectly fine. And maybe second point that I did, did really realize, uh, talking about always these theories around risk management, like risk appetite and measures, we do it now every day, not even realizing that. You see various people and different risk appetite that they have towards the whole virus situation. Some people have very high risk appetite because they think, oh, I have nothing to lose or because I, have, I can gain, I can still live my life. But some people don't have that risk appetite. And let's maybe, maybe learn to respect that as well, um, that everyone has a bit different appetite for the risks that are involved. And maybe everyone takes different measures accordingly. There are people who don't take any measures. And there are people who take very strict measures personally and professionally. And I think that's precisely how it should be working. Uh, and we should try to maybe recognize it and try to apply that into, of course, our risk management in our jobs as well. Because th there is no policy at the moment other than government wanting something. But uh, you have to create your daily own policies and live your life to the best you can. Oh, I like that. I, I like that. Looking at your own introspection on um, leveraging agility in your own life, as well as that concept of risk appetite. So, well, thank you, Peter. I really appreciate that comment. And I think that was very valuable to think about what is your own risk appetite and how have you been able to navigate this last year? So, David, what advice would you share? Um, you talked about work-life balance and it's something that I thought I used to believe in. And then when the pandemic happened and people are working from home, you, you balance, right? You're at home, you're working, no commuting, perfect. But as all of us realize, it's not really work-life balance. So the term that I would use is actually work-life boundaries and creating clear boundaries because work has transcended beyond just our mobile phones. It's kind of integrated so much in our lives that if we don't start saying, actually, this phone should not go into the bedroom, it should stay outside of you know, dinner time so that we can spend time talking to the kids and things like that. That's also very important to ensure that we are balanced individuals because we create those boundaries. How that happens is that you need to also respect other people's boundaries as well. So working with colleagues, you know, I have a colleague who has a set time for pickups and I have drop-offs for kids. You know, how do we work together as a team to enable each other to work more efficiently by respecting those boundaries from each other? That awareness is important. So I'm very fortunate that productivity, you know, as a company, as a management, as colleagues, we've always respected that. We've been able to create the culture and the space to give people that work-life balance or, you know, work-life boundaries that 
I believe we do need in this new world. Absolutely. I love that calibration expectation and then setting boundaries, less of the pressure of finding balance. It's just more about being clear and owning and setting boundaries for yourself and sharing that with your colleagues so those can, can respect those as well. So very good advice. I love that. Peter and David, thank you so much for sharing your insights and your knowledge with us today. And for those, join us for another episode of GRC and Me. Thank you, David, Peter. Thank you so much for the invitation. I'm very glad to have further conversations on this topic. Thanks, Megan. Appreciate the opportunity to talk. Fantastic. And for those interested in learning more and having a deeper conversation with David and Peter, please check out the details in the description of this podcast for contact information. Until next time, this is Megan Fee with GRC and Me.